You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 56, and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. Well, it's been a while since the last episode. I am finally back from two weeks in Peru. So thanks for your patience while I was gallivanting around the southern hemisphere and then uh, recovering from it afterwards. Uh, when I left, the temperatures of my house were in the single digits, and, uh, and when I got back home, they were still in the single digits. So uh, I got to say, it was nice to be hot and sweaty again, even, even if it was just for two weeks. Uh, I did record a number of shows while I was down in the rainforest, and uh, I'll be working them into the rotation going forward. Hey, you know, it was great to finally get back to Peru after almost a two-year absence. Uh, You know, all Peru requires at this point in time to enter the country is proof of vaccination, which may travel a bit easier, although, of course, there are still issues with, you know, canceled and delayed flights. But I think that's a global problem these days and probably will be for some time to come. And I mean, these days, travel requires adjusting your mindset a little bit, and you have to accept, you know, delays as part of the landscape. And I saw somebody use the phrase baggy itinerary recently, and that kind of struck a chord with me because, uh, you know, tight connections are just not a great idea at the moment if you're traveling anywhere. At any rate, we had a good time on the trip, despite some difficulties, because the January is normally very rainy, but this year the rains were late and we did not see much precipitation. But uh, the folks on the tour were full of grit and pluck, and they herped their butts off, and they were rewarded with some charismatic herps. You know, they got four species of coral snakes and a bushmaster and fertile ants and cool things like that. And uh, funny enough, it was a great trip for rainbow boas. I think the final count was eight, uh, including a couple boas mm, close to seven feet in length. Uh, but for me, the highlight was an eight-foot musharana, uh, Clelia Clelia, uh, which we found crossing a road near Quitos the first night before we even traveled down the river. And that thing was a beast. It was, you know, it was much like handling a, a really big indigo snake. Very muscular serpent. Oh, I also want to uh, throw out some congratulations to uh, Marissa Ishimatsu, who found her very first Bushmaster out in the forest along with her husband, Daklin. Uh, now, Marissa's seen other Bushmasters on previous trips, but this one she spied with her own two eyes, so... Good job, Marissa. Okay, now just a couple of things before we get to the episode. As always, thanks to all of the folks who support the show through Patreon and direct donations. Your contributions help to keep the show rolling along, and I really appreciate all of you. And if you're listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle, and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. And thanks, folks, as always. Uh, and one programming note. Have you ever had a weird, bizarre, or unusual experience in the field? And do you want to talk about it? I have been collecting some stories along those lines for a future episode, and I still need a few more. Uh, but let's be clear. By weird, bizarre, and unusual... 
Uh, I don't mean tragic or violent. You know, we don't need any of that stuff. Uh, could be something like a vanishing hitchhiker story. Uh, I've already recorded one uh, story about a man who wasn't there. Uh, but, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a supernatural occurrence or anything like that. Uh, but if something strange or weird or unusual happened to you in the field, uh, feel free to get in touch with me. And, and for time reference, uh, this is February of 2022, and I will be collecting these stories for the next six months or so. Now let's get to this week's episode, which features my friend John Sullivan. So John and I go way back to the mid-1990s, when the internet was still new and shiny, and uh, we were pioneers of a sort. Uh, you know, we were among a small group of early adopters when the World Wide Web was still actually still called the World Wide Web. And it was fun to talk to John about those days and about the many places he's traveled to in search of herbs. And this episode was recorded on location in Peru just a few weeks ago, and uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Sullivan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And once again, I'm speaking to you from the back deck of my Tambo overlooking the lagoon down here in the rainforest of Peru. And sitting on the deck with me today is Mr. John Sullivan. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Mike. Proud to be on your show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to, glad to have you here. Uh, you're one of those guys that's like, well, I really want to talk to John at some point. I just, you know, even before I put the show together, it's like, yeah, that would be so much fun to to talk with him because we, we have some history together. We've done some of the same things uh, going back in time. Uh, but I, I, to start this off, uh, and of course, this is like a third or fourth trip to Peru. I, I don't remember. Fourth. Fourth trip, yeah. So uh, obviously you must like it down here. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like going places where there are things, uh, where there's a lot of things I haven't seen. And that's true here, even though I've been here. You know, four times. <laughs> this is the fourth time. There's still a lot of things I haven't seen. There's yeah, you so still see things. something new, right? Every, every night. Time. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily a new herp every night, but new herps on every trip and something new on every night. Yeah. Even insects. You know, you see the you, you see things that are repeats, but then you you see something crazy that you've never seen before. Absolutely. The yeah. insects down here are unbelievable in <laughs> diversity and quantity. Yeah. Well, let's let's take this back. Kind of to the beginning. Uh, you're from California. You want to talk a little bit about yourself? And um, yeah, I'm mostly from California. I was born in Oregon. Lived in Oregon for like six months. So that doesn't count. Moved to Arizona for four and a half years, and then moved to Southern California when I was about five. Okay. Grew up in Southern California, and I went to uh, college in Northern California at Stanford, and then I went to lived in Arizona for a couple of years. Then went back to, got a master's degree at Stanford, and then stayed in California ever since. Cool. And you're retired now. I am now retired. It's true. It's great, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's very nice. I can't complain. Work is overrated. Yeah. I mean, the main thing about work that's good is they give you money. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> the main thing about not working is that you can do what you want more often. Yeah. Well, you can stay busy. You just do more busy on your own terms. Absolutely. Never run out of things to do. Yeah. And you're one of those active people. Uh, uh, and so how did you get into the herp thing? How, how did that happen? Uh, when I was a kid, we grew up, you know, as feral children, as kids did in those days, <laughs> yeah. where you just went outside and spent your days wandering around outside. And it's hard to believe we don't let our kids out anymore. I know. It seems like they're all trapped inside. 
But uh, my brother and I would go out and and uh, find fence lizards and alligator lizards and occasional king snake or gopher snake, and we'd catch them and sometimes let them go. We kept some as pets. You know, we we had some for I don't know eight or nine years or something childhood yeah. years. It kind of fizzled out keeping them as pets somewhere in high school. Yeah. Um, and I and I was always so I've always been interested. We'd got to the desert too. Um, every year or two, our family trips out to like Palm Springs or that general area. Uh-huh. We'd get to see the desert animals, which are quite different than the coastal ones. Um, so I always had the interest. Um, I kind of fizzled out in terms of like keeping them. And, and in hindsight, I kind of always felt bad about keeping them. And I'm not against people keeping them. I just personally... It just um, wasn't your thing. It wasn't my thing, right? So... Um, kind of got away from doing much about it until after college. Uh, and then I'd go out and go out with friends and go on trips and stuff. And I was still like, oh, let's see, there's a lizard on that rock over there. Let's go see what that is. And, and got some kind of gradually got more back into it that way. Did you start taking pictures of herps then? Is that um, photography started happening? Yeah, that a friend was into photography and kind of got me interested. And I, gradually started taking pictures. Um, I think what really got it going again was my wife and I took um, a few trips sort of fairly early in our marriage. Uh, We went to Belize, then we went to the Galapagos, and then the third one, and the most important one, we went to Madagascar. She was uh, volunteering in a lemur study at the local, the small local zoo in San Jose, and so she was getting interested in lemurs and through zoo connections, um, we actually met Russell Mittermeier, who's sort of famous primatologist, oh, conservation yeah. guy at the zoo, zoo convention, just the two of us were chatting with him and talking about visiting Madagascar and like how it must be so great to be able to visit there. And he's like, oh, it's not that hard. Just sign up with, uh, he told us a company to go, to go check them out and you know, you could go every year. It's no big deal. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know about that, but hey, if, you know, this seems like something worth doing. So, so it, it's all, it, it's funny because it's it's not, it's sort of giving you permission, not quite giving you permission, but it feels like it almost like, hey, you can go to do that. Just do this. Yeah. It makes it seem possible. Yeah. And the Galapagos trip was a, a sort of standard tour. Yeah. And the the Belize one was more like we went with, with some friends and had some good a good time, but the mm-hmm. The Madagascar one, it's like we contacted this company and they designed a little itinerary just for us. We went with a couple friends of ours, uh-huh. so just the four of us, and and then they give you a guide and they drive you around and, you know, we saw all sorts of cool stuff. Um, did, we weren't into photography at the time, you know, we started like a point and shoot type camera right. that just went wrong in all the spectacular ways that a point and shoot camera yes. can go wrong. <laughs> and after the trip, I made like a scrapbook of, of photos and there was a section in the back for different ways of photo failure so there's the like <laughs> auto focus on the wrong object section there was like a double you know a, a double imaging section where it, the film didn't advance after oh the my. first picture and all this oh but boy. uh but that really made us realize you can go anywhere if you can go to Madagascar. You can go anywhere. Yeah, because that's about as far. Other than maybe Easter Island, there's not much I, more. I think at least at the time it was. If you dropped a pin through the center of the Earth from where we were 
living, Madagascar was the closest point of land. Oh, really? I, at, at least we, we taught ourselves that at the time. I haven't gone back wow. and double checked that, but. That's amazing. Um, and, and so what, when was this? What decade was this? This is in the early 90s. Okay. Um, right. And then I was working uh, as a software engineer and I was working at this company called General Magic, which was kind of a spinoff from Apple. I had worked at Apple for a few years and then some friends I knew at Apple had, had gone along with some other people and started this other company. And one of them kind of invited me along to, to see if I wanted to do that instead. And, and I did. Um, so that was a really early, I mean, you could call it an internet company. It wasn't really an internet company, but it was, we were making what we're calling a personal communicator, which in a modern world would be an, would be a, smartphone except for that it was much physically larger than a smartphone because uh -huh. you know the technology didn't exist at the time for it to be that small and this was kind of before the web had really taken off the i'm not sure if the web even existed when general magic started but it definitely existed during the four years that i was there and we made a web browser kind of late in the game. We added a web browser to the set of software on our on our device um, because it didn't. It wasn't something anyone cared about yet until you know until it started becoming that. And it's like, oh, we need to have that if this is going to be a, a personal communicator. Right. And so that got me, uh, you know, somewhat interested in web browsing and HTML. And somebody at the company taught me. I asked them and they sort of taught me the rudiments of HTML. It's like, well, if you're gonna learn this, you gotta like have some project to learn it on. You can't just, you know, you have to have a reason to, to right. try to figure stuff out and make it better. So I decided I would make this uh, website of pictures of all the herps I had seen and taken photos of. And they convinced me that you should also write something with each one because unless you're really into herbs, just seeing the pictures is like not interesting enough. You got to like have some text there too. Plus you learn, you need to learn to put in the text code. <laughs> right, 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 right. Cause, <laughs> you cause have some text on text your website. Text has its own, its right. own it's little bits of code. And all that kind of thing. Yeah. So I originally started this site as a way of learning HTML and, um, I called the site wildherps.com. I, I looked around for, or I thought about names. At the time, the namespace for the internet was pretty wide open and I could have come up with anything, but yeah. um, wildherps.com came to mind. I, at one point, I was thinking of calling it Europlatus just because that's such a cool species of, you know, genus of geckos that we had seen in Madagascar. Yeah. Um, but that seemed too obscure. And now, like, you know, I could probably, if I had the Europlatus <laughs> domain name, I could probably sell it for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you only had hindsight, you know, uh, foresight back then, just for things like pets.com and yeah. you know, oh my gosh. We, we could have made some money. But Yeah, just buy every common name you can think yeah. of. So mm -hmm. I started uh, wildhoops.com at that point, and initially it was all hand-built. Like, every page I just typed. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> what year that was? I was trying to remember that for the sake of, of remembering exactly how long this ago. I was at General Magic from 1992 to 1996. Okay. And it wasn't at the end, but it wasn't at the beginning either. So it was probably about 94. Okay. All yeah. right. So your site started somewhere right around then too, didn't it? Maybe a little earlier? <sighs> February of 93. Okay. So, but you and I were doing the same thing. I, I mean, you were you were working on web stuff and this, this is kind of hard for our younger listeners to to wrap their heads around because 
everything is done automatically these days. But, you know, we had to, if you wanted to build a web page, you had to hand code the HTML. You had to learn the language, the markup language, we called it, right? Right. So you had to learn the markup Hypertext language. Hypertext markup language. Hypertext markup language. And, uh, well, I worked at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications, NCSA, at the University of Illinois. And a lot of people don't know this, but uh, we, ha- we had some grad students there that developed the first practical web browser, which was called Mosaic. You know, now we have you know, we have Safari and we have Chrome back then there was not, you know, a, a usable web. So they developed a web browser. It was called mosaic. And so we became NCSA got a lot of fame and notoriety out of that and some licensing out of it too, because uh, the people that developed mosaic, uh, left and joined a company to, to form something called Netscape, Netscape yeah. and the Netscape browser. And then of course, a lot of people don't even know that exists anymore, especially if you were born, you know, after the, in this, right. if, if you were born after the year 2000, you don't have any clue what well, we're talking about. Well, it turned about. into Mozilla in, over time. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's all this stuff happening in the nineties. And so, but, uh, so we had all this fame and, and recognition and our, our, our director at the time, uh, his name is Larry Smarr, he encouraged staff to build their own web pages and you could put them on a server within NCSA. There were uh, no rules about like the universities now they have rules about who puts what on what web server. But back then that was just like the wild, wild west. So, so we were encouraged to play with it. And so of course for work, you know, I, I, the first thing we did with it is we took all of our procedures documentation. We ran, you know, cause I, you know, it was in a computer operations center. We took all of our procedures documentation and put it on a web page. We right. built a web server and we served all those documents and it was, it was fabulous. You know, it was like back then that felt like something, a real accomplishment, uh, nowadays doesn't mean much at all, but, uh, so then I made my own web page. I want to make a herp web page. And so I had to learn the markup language and all of that and uh, to put pictures up. And I'm sure you went through the same thing too, because we were shooting film back then. Right. So uh, I, w- we had a, a place, uh, another building we had a place called the Renaissance, uh, Renaissance lab, I think it was called. And they had a bunch of, uh, small servers in there uh, that students would work on, but I would go, I would get off. I worked second shift then I would get off. They had a scanner there and then they had a server with Photoshop on it. So first version of Photoshop. And uh, so I would go there and scan my photos at, you know, 1130 at night. I'm in the lab by myself scanning photos and then doing rudimentary editing on them in Photoshop, saving them to a floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the morning, I would, you know, at work and free time and lunchtime, I would build a web page and then upload those photos and, you know, code them in. And, and that's how I started my web page. So you and I are at the same time, we're sort of toiling in this stone age right. web world. Right. Just to get a her page up. Right. I actually even before that, my, my first memory of the internet at all, I believe it's before HTML even had been invented. Um, my wife worked at Sun Microsystems at the time. Yeah. And they had, you know, these big, big for the time uh microcomputers or what yeah. they call them anyway. Uh they had the internet which means the, you know, connected set of computers, but the software on it was, you know, only a few things. They were really primitive, but Gopher, do you remember Gopher? Sure. Right. So, so I used Gopher, which was, you could search for things sort of yeah. <laughs> using yeah. Gopher. And I remember searching for lemurs because I wanted to see if there was any information about lemurs on the internet. And in fact, there were a few photos from Duke University because they did a bunch of lemur studies at Duke. 
And there are a few photos of lemurs. And we just thought this was the most amazing thing you can imagine. You can like find a picture of a lemur on a computer. And yeah. the picture is somewhere else. Somewhere. You know? <laughs> somewhere else. So yeah. anyway, now we're such yeah. old fogies. <laughs> I, I know. It, it was, it's kind of, it's funny to look back on it now. It's, it's just whatever pictures of herps I had, I wasn't even really a good photographer or anything. At right. that time. I had some photos, but I didn't have like a bunch of trip photos or anything even. So, uh, but I can remember, you know, I had got my webpage up and it was called Mike's page. because I was really original about this. <laughs> Mike's page. And, uh, it was back in the day when maybe there were 10 new websites added every day. Which is nuts, right? You could keep like a right. scroll. It was like a list. A of list. Them. Go of... to Yahoo. I don't know if Yahoo.com existed yet, but in the early days of Yahoo, it was just a listing, like yeah. a yellow pages type listing yeah. of of websites. It wasn't a search thing. You right. Just, you could just see them all there. <laughs> but I, I can remember there was when I started, there were two other people who had had herp pages or herp related pages, and one was a guy, and I can't remember the guy's name. I'm sorry. He had an, a pet animal. <laughs> and so he had taken a bunch of pictures of his animal and he built a web page about it. And, and now people are like laughing at this, but back then it's like, holy cow, look at that. He's got like multiple photos of his animal. Right, right. Here's, he's feeding his animal and stuff. It's like, this is crazy, you know, all on a computer. And then the other one was a, a woman named, I'll leave her last name out of it. Her name was Rebecca. She lived in Colorado and she was a belly dancer and she had a pet python. <laughs> and so she had a web page. I think she was going to school. Uh, in Colorado, and she had uh, she's very interesting uh, a person, and she had pictures of her doing her belly dances with her with her python, and pictures of her python by herself. So it was just you know yet another uh, thing on the spectrum, right? You know, but the only other thing on the spectrum <laughs> at the time. Right? So so I can remember when that was it. That's all I could find using Gopher or or maybe Links or one of those other yeah. early search. That's all I could find. Uh, and it, but it wasn't long after that I, I stumbled across yours, and I think we started a correspondence. My memory that. is kind of funny. I don't know if you remember this. Um, I found your site somehow, searching or finding a link somewhere. I don't know, and I saw a picture of some a lizard that was labeled as a. I might have this backwards, but I think it was labeled as a side blotched lizard, but I thought it was a tree lizard. Or the other way around. Yeah. And I, I sent that. you email saying, hey, this picture you have labeled as a side blotch lizard is actually a tree lizard. And yeah. uh, you wrote back and said, oh, I don't know about that, but hey, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was our first. Yeah. <laughs> and was, I don't really. It was my I, first constructive criticism. Right. <laughs> and, you know, at the time I was sure I was right. Looking back, I don't know if I was right or not. I can't remember who was right. I figured but... I was, I live in the West and I see 10 billion side botched lizards yeah. a year. So I knew them pretty well, but. I think you, know, you were right. You can still yeah. make mistakes. So. <laughs> I think you were right. But uh, yeah. But then, you know, because you're learning too, it's like, oh, you not, not only can you uh, do you, uh, effort to put all this stuff out there, but then people are going to say things about it. Yes. Oh, I didn't think about that part. So you have to learn. It's like, well, sometimes you might get something wrong and people are going to call you on it. So you have to you have to understand how you're going to behave in that. You know, so, you, you know, you can't be a jerk. You have to go, oh, OK. You know, you have to learn these things. It's, it's a new way of communicating. There's all these new uh, cultural systems that aren't really fully developed so it's like oh, okay so i have to learn how to take constructive criticism 
and then still communicate with people. So, right, right. So you were like sort of the first for me. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Well, I could tell you were a nice guy by your response because I because I could tell that like you didn't necessarily believe me, but you weren't going to say anything rude either, right? <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, that's good. That sounds like me. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. And so, uh, and then I, I think you maybe you had your life list up before me. I think. well, my 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 site was my life list. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. and it it still is. I've I've redesigned the look, kind of one major redesign since then. But it's still basically my life list, just arranged as each species is on its own page. But I've got it organized so you can go taxonomically or by date or by scientific name or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And I, and then I think I, I went, wow, that's pretty darn cool. And, and, and so I started mine and I think my first hack at it, I think I had maybe, it was under a hundred. I sure. can't remember. It was some number under a hundred and thought, oh, this is okay. This is a start, I guess. And I, you know, I thought, well, I'll add two or three a year, you know, but then I started, you know, traveling. And so that number went pretty high. Right. It, it, did you, along with your life list, I can't remember the early versions of your page. Did you also do like the travelogue stuff? Uh, I kind of added those later in an organized fashion. Um, I did write up maybe none of those particular places, but yeah, eventually when I, I would start to to write up an account from each major trip or most major trips, and I would link to it in the text for the individual species that i found on that trip maybe um okay. eventually i came around and like realized i should just have a single page that has all of these like travel accounts on them yeah and so i added that to the when i redesigned the page and those are so fun to go to to read because you had been to some really cool places yeah it's always you know it's always for for me or you know for anyone you look back at stuff you did a long time ago it's like kind of a grimace when i look at the early ones it's like oh this page looks awful yeah. this text is stupid and these pictures are terrible but um yeah but you know it's also it's nostalgic and and it and each one just makes you hungry for the next you know yeah uh and i didn't want to copy you but i kind of tried to do some of the similar things i you know i had a list of all the things, and then I would build a, a web page for each species with some kind of description and a picture or two that you that would was linked to the list. You click on the name and the right. list, and was open this thing up, and and that that works fine when you've got a hundred or <laughs> two hundred, uh, but when you start getting up there, it becomes this god awful chore. Yeah, uh, I mean, at some point, it doesn't make sense to try to maintain it manually. Yeah. So you got to like have some sort of database and have yeah. things generated from the database. And since I was a software engineer, um, I didn't use any standard off-the-shelf database. I just kind of wrote a, I used Apple data technologies or whatever to sort of do a database that way and then um, generated the pages from the database. But I still, even now... Um, That's commonplace now, but back then, that was really slick what you did. Yeah. <laughs> And and now I even now I don't uh it isn't generated live on the server like most such things would be. I just um so the database basically lives in the data on my hard drive and I run a program that I wrote that spits out all the pages and then okay. I upload all the pages. So okay. it's not the most efficient way, but it, it works fine and it gives me a 
way to have a totally local copy that I can do all the proofreading and tweaking until it's it just out. right. And then I push the whole thing up. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I, I can remember, um, I mean, I was very inspired by what you were doing there. And in 1996, I published my first field herping journal uh-huh. account where I, I made a trip somewhere and I wrote a little account of it. And so that became a, uh, uh, and you were kind of doing the same thing and, uh, I, I needed a name for it. So I called it notes from the field. And I thought this is great notes from the field. And, uh, it didn't occur to me. I didn't realize until about 20 years later that Dick Bartlett had been doing something called <laughs> notes <laughs> from the field name. for reptiles <laughs> magazine. And I had read all those and it, ne- it never, Oh, the name just didn't stick in your it, head. It just yeah. never went, Oh, you man, you just stomped all over, you know, <laughs> <laughs> N- not that I was, you know, was not that this thing ever gotten any bigger than what, what Dick was doing, but it was the same time. Like I never really realized until then that I had, you know, sort of used the same thing. I would have never done that if I had, re- if that had come to my mind. So sure. that's funny. Did you ever talk to Dick about it? <laughs> no, I haven't. But if he listens to this show, it's like uh, mea culpa, Dick. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry for stealing uh, your name. It, it was unintentional, but, but anyway, it was, it was kind of fun. You'd, you'd write out an account of the trip and, code it and maybe by this time there was some software out there that i was, I was using front page i guess was the software i was using oh yeah so you could remember uh, that one well wouldn't have to do hand coding for all the web pages and so you'd put together a text and you'd put pictures and embed pictures in it and there you go and so what we were doing you and i and so a few others we were blogging is essentially what we were doing before blogging was invented yeah before the word was invented sure yeah, yeah. So we were, we were, you know, blogging comes from weblog, I guess, or something right. like yep. that. So we were doing that before there was actually a term for it. I always, th- I thought of blogging as a more specific type of thing where, um, it has to do with the, like the order of, uh, content on the page, like the new stuff is at top and then it gradually pushes the old stuff down yeah. and sort of article by article. And since my site is primarily about the, the species and how they're arranged. It's not really chronological in the same way. So I never really thought of that word as being the right word to describe it. But on the other hand, it's closer than, you know, almost any other word. So yeah, it it has the same essence of recording experiences. So sure. On Uh, the web, on the web, as we called it. Yeah. (laughs) In the early days of, of uh, wild herbs, I, I had a page that was just a, a page of links to other sort of herp-related websites. Yeah. Specifically the ones that that did like life list kind of things. Um, but I eventually gave up, on, gave up on that because of a combination of there being way too many of them and they're being too volatile. Like they're just changing all the time. And right. so it was always half stale links and that kind of thing. Right. So... And I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to say I have not kept up with my online life list. I mean, I've been meaning to fix that, but, uh, you know, you know, it's not like it's of interest to a lot of people. Only, I only know of a couple of people who find it, you know, interesting. I'm sure there are people. I mean, do you, do you ever keep track of, uh, or have a glance at like web visit, website visit stats to see how I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't either, but, but. 
I used to, you know, in the early days, especially, I didn't know if anyone was looking at it. So, you know, you could, there were ways to check how many visitors there were per day and what pages they visited the most and all this kind of thing. Well, yeah, after I made the, my first hurt page, you know, Mike's page and all that, um, and I changed it to Mike's hurt page or whatever. But back then, you know, all the herpers would, would hit it. And so I, and this is run off the university server, my department server, right? The little sunbox. And, uh, uh, so the networking people who the people who were perusing the uh, you know access logs you know they were getting some grumblings from <laughs> them about the the level of network traffic that that this was causing on, sucking you know. down all these pictures man <laughs> yeah a little like 10k per picture it was really putting <laughs> yeah. a strain on the system <laughs> yeah so so there were some grumblings about that and so eventually uh that that was you know so before the year 2000 i think i went ahead and you know got a domain and moved everything off and, you know, uh, completely divorced myself from the, the university and the university too. We were start, we were getting these content p- people that were policing content and, mm. or making sure you weren't selling, <clears throat> you know, selling goods and services on a university server. So, uh, so they actually had people who were, you know, we, you know, we call them web Nazis, yeah. who were, you know, are you selling something? You know, you get communications from right. them. You get hassled from them for this kind of stuff. And is this really a good use of, you know, the university's resources? And it wasn't, but, you know, we had had a, you know, a mandate from the boss. Go make a web page and play around and have fun with it. And that's what I did. And right. then everything kind of gelled and things changed. And so we had to change too. So I had ended up moving it off on, you know, some someplace else. So. Did you get much feedback from people? In the early days, and if so, what what kinds of things would people say other than me telling you about your side blotch lizard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I got uh, obviously more ID questions about my yeah. identification abilities, which um, there's nothing like the internet to make you, you know, and and constructive criticism to make you go, you know, I had better make sure what I'm doing here. I better make right. sure I'm getting IDs because I would hear from other people the same thing. And but I would get things from people saying, you know, hey, wow, that's you know, that's the typical kind of fan letter, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. This is really cool. And other people saying, Hey, you know, let's go herping or you know, so I met a few friends that way and and, hmm. and uh in the early days and uh also people wanting to buy. You know, post yep. a picture of a box yep. turtle and they say have you still got that box turtle? Because I'll give you three hundred dollars. Right? Yeah, I got a oh few of gosh. those. So there was there was that dark side of it too. So. The thing, the actual kind of message I got most often was people asking questions about uh, care for their pet herps. Yeah, and it was and of those, it was usually green and anolis, you know, anolis carolinensis, the green annals. So so that was like the single most popular thing, and um, at some point. You've probably, you saw this too, though. A site showed up from someone named Melissa Kaplan. Yes. That was all about caring for your pet animal, basically. And it was in great detail and and really good information. And I was really happy when I discovered that because then I could send all these people her way. Because it's like, I don't know anything about caring for your pet animal, but go talk to this person. (laughs) I had the same thing with green iguanas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody wanted to know how to take care of a green iguana. I was like, oh, man. I had an iguana for about a half an hour one time, and that was enough for me. Uh, I, and uh, you know, rescue iguana, and I was like, I knew right away these are terrible pets uh, for most people. So, but I would get the same thing. I would get dozens and dozens of, and so I worked with uh, a woman in Pittsburgh, and oh, 
I, I won't be able to remember her name, but she had put together a care sheet. And so I helped her develop uh, that into uh, a movable document that you could download and uh, uh, a place on the web where it could live. And then she could k- keep it up and uh, she could trade it around on floppy disks. So people could open their care sheet on their home computer if they didn't Ooh, have the internet. Wow. Crazy stuff, man. It was like sneaker net almost back then. Yeah. With some of the, some of the things we did. So I was involved with that kind of thing early on too. So that's a crazy time back then. <laughs> Very different. Very different. I don't get, uh, fortunately, I don't get the care questions anymore because, you know, now it's so easy to find that information on the web if you're looking for yeah. it. Yeah. But you maintain your life list over, over the years and, um, People have life lists for different reasons, and I'm I'm surprised more herpers don't do it. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, to me, it's it, it's like really interesting to remember exactly what I have and haven't seen, and this is the way to remember it. Um, you know, I think of my website as primarily for me, <laughs> so I can I can go back and remember what I saw, where I saw it, and have some you know nostalgia and want to go back there again and everything and and. But I also want it to be interesting and entertaining for other yeah. people, and it uh, seems like I get enough positive feedback that it you know it's doing something good out there. So that's good. Um, keeping an actual list of of the animals to me kind of seems natural, but I know that for some people that just like doesn't doesn't occur to them that that's an important thing to do. Um, just different attitudes. Yeah. No, no well, I, I, I like lists. I've yeah. always been a list maker. Yeah. You know? Always, you know, the, I was the kid who would make lists of herps in a notebook or something, you know. Yeah. Or it, fish, even. I would keep lists of names of fish and things like that in the list. So it does make it more, um, there's like more of a goal to find something new. If you've got like, oh, I've got a list of everything I've seen. I can, if I can find something new, then that list is bigger. You know, it's just it, it just kind of a little bit of a challenge to yourself, and yeah, makes it you know every every trip somewhere where you might see something new, you know, a little bit more exciting. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and people just getting started, or you know, the, the younger younger folks, they like to make fun of some people with life lists, but I think some of that might be envy. Yeah, you know, because they're just kind of getting started, so it's we're an easy target sometimes for <laughs> poking fun at us. But, uh, but it it does help me keep track because sometimes I forget, and I I don't I don't know, I'm not even going to say how many mine is mine is on this show, but it's well over a thousand, and you know, every year I'm adding a couple hundred species now. How the heck am I keeping track of what I found and where I found it? Yeah, so I'm I you know I have a a a list in Microsoft Word. Uh, you know, large enough font for me to read <laughs> by family, by or you know, order family and all that, uh, subfamily and, and genus and species, all you know, in an order. And then I have that, and I every, once a year I print out a copy and I have a hardbound copy that I can just flip through. Oh, wow, <laughs> and I can make notes in it. You know, I put it in plasticine pages and then I can just make notes in it if I need to change something. And then occasionally I'll go back in and update. And then I also keep a spreadsheet, uh, the same way, but it also has you know, the country the dates the country you know if it's the united states it's the, it's the state and the county yeah and all that kind of data and then for yeah. other countries it has the similar you know level uh, of level detail of detail right? so i i'd keep that as well and that that's a big help to me as well so i just i just use my website for that so i don't have any separate list anywhere 
but I don't put like every everything I ever see on there because you know you'd have every fence lizard you ever ran into it would make yeah. make a pretty boring website. Yeah. Um, so I'll put any new species or subspecies that I found. I'll put I'll put animals up there that I'm not sure what species they are occasionally. So I'll I'll list it as you know whatever the genus is right. sp, and then it'll describe in text why I'm not sure what species it is, and. Some in some cases I'll find out later, um, and some cases I'll just stays like that indefinitely. Right. But usually I only do that if it seems like I should eventually be able to figure out what species is it. It is. Yeah. Um, if it's just like I got a crappy picture and you can't tell what species it is, then I won't even bother putting it up there. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I know I have some of those as well. <laughs> yeah. And you, but those. you only you only really keep things to the species level. I have I, so, I have each page as a species, but um within a species page I, I do subspecies. Do you? Okay. Yeah. That's right. And right. I try to keep I that's the other thing about keeping the life list is that you also have to maintain it. Yeah. Not just by adding stuff you've seen, but the, all the taxonomic changes that go on. Right. So you have to decide how you can decide which taxonomic changes you're following. And you can't follow them all because they contradict each other. So you know, you have to you have pick to your decide. authorities and make decisions and stuff. Right. And, um, and but doing that kind of forces you to learn more about the you know literature about these animals too. And then you end up reading papers and you learn more about the animals. And so that's that's sort of another good thing about the life list is it kind of forces you to learn more about the animals. I agree. I agree. And and their their taxonomic relationship to other animals as well. Right. You know, and and it's funny too. Sometimes. Yeah, uh, here's the thing. A lot of you know, a lot of like the North American rat snakes. We used to love, you know, they used to be these very simple uh, Pantherophis obsoletus, blah, subspecies. Right. You know, yellow, gray, black, Texas bears. All these things were like subspecies of that, and so it was very simple. Uh, and then all that gets changed, and so um, rather than just go to the new system and and sort of have those things disappear. I treat it as an artifact of the time, and I just put the subspecies in quotes, even though those mm -hmm. they're sunk. At the time that I saw them, they weren't considered right. to be, you know. So a yellow rat snake is still important to me, and so I needed to make sure it just didn't disappear. Right, because it might come back, too. It might know? come back, yeah. too. Yeah, I oh. tend to just do that in, in the text. So I'll... Okay. I'll, I usually try to follow... The rule I used to use was to follow the SSAR names book for anything in, you know, in the United States. But um, they don't update that very often. And so sometimes it's pretty far behind the times. Yeah. So lately, I generally try to follow the reptile database for reptiles. That's and then, what I use. Yeah, eh, Amphibians are sort of two, you know, there's amphibian species of the world and there's amphibia web and they don't always completely right. agree. Uh, I use the uh, the former, the, uh, which is a, a list maintained by the American Muse Museum of Natural History, right? Okay. Amphibians of the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it amphibian, amphibian species, species of the, of the world? world. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but then you have to notice, you have to have some way of noticing the changes too, the noticing that there have been changes so yeah. that you can update your stuff. Uh, one thing that helps me with that is I use iNaturalist a lot and iNaturalist uh, does, makes changes periodically, taxonomic changes based on these other authorities and they happen automatically and they so they change your previous observations to the new one and oh. you can go there and look and it'll say, you know, old obsolete taxon, new taxon. And so it's like, that causes me to realize this change has happened. So then I'll go learn more about it yeah. and then I'll make it on wild herbs 
sooner or later. You know, I have like sort of a pile of the ones that are a little out of date. And Make a list. And eventually I'll get around and do them all. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, that kind of bugs me about some folks in the herp world is somebody will come out with a paper and they'll say, this has changed. This is now this. And every certain segment of the popula- herp population will go, they'll shrug their shoulders and say, okay, and they immediately adopt it. And my approach to this is to take it slow. Sure. You know, because that just because somebody says something is this doesn't mean it won't be refuted in another paper next year. Right. So you have to, you have to kind of have a little patience and, and uh, take it slowly because things change. One of the things that that happened a few years ago with the West coast uh, frogs in the genus Pseudacris, which was, it used to be Hyla, right? You know, Hyla, Regula, uh, Cadaverina and so on and so forth. They were put in rightly, probably put in Pseudacris. And then, uh, you know, a few years ago, Duelman went in and you knew somebody was going to, tackle the North American hyla sooner or later and every and right and the hyla used to be this gigantic genus yeah it's a you know spanning continents but uh so he went in and and muddied that up quite a bit and a lot of people were unhappy one of the things he did is he put the west coast sudacris in a new genus called hyliola right and uh it's like okay so you know you start making like i i maintain the taxonomy for the herp mapper project so i had to go in and make all these links so that whether you put in Hyla, Sudacris, or Hyliola, it all pointed at the same animal, you know, okay. so it was a, kind of a pain and the life list sure. had to be updated. And now recently I've seen that the, that the uh, American Museum of Natural History's list has gone back to Sudacris and I think Amphibioweb has as well. Mm-hmm. So they've all kind of dropped Hyliola and that's just over a couple of years. So. Yeah, I don't think that particular change, in my memory anyway, ever made it to iNaturalist. So I, it, yeah. it never, I, I saw it uh, in some references somewhere and I thought, oh, I don't want to go change all these names. It seems like a dumb idea. Well, yeah, and I like <laughs> and then, that approach. And I never did and yeah. now, now I'm okay. I like that. It's like, it's very Tao, you know, very Taoist, like, you know, you do nothing. Eventually some problems solve just themselves. Just go away, right. You know? Maybe eventually they'll put all the, the three Sudacris uh, species that were split out from Regilla back into Regilla, you know. Oh, yeah. Because you, you have Sierra. <laughs> Sierra yeah, that, uh, the ones in our area are now Sierra. Are they? Okay. And, and then. And Cadaverina South. And... No, Cadaverina is, is the other, is the California tree fox. That one's different. Okay. It's, um. Oh, shoot, it's like a hypochondriac. Hypochondriac, yeah, that's yeah. it. Sorry. And then Regilla further north. Right. Yeah. So, but there, there's been times when I've benefited from, you know, as a life lister, I've benefited from taxonomic change, like with the uh, the, the brown vine snakes, right? Uh, Oxabilis. Oxabilis aeneas was a species that went from southern Arizona all the way down here to here in Peru and further south. Right. And only recently have those somebody took a look at those genetically and decided that there's a number of different species within there. Right. So, so I've you know I've seen Oxabilis aeneas from uh, Mexico all the way down here, and all of a sudden I find myself gifted with yeah, a bunch new of spe- new species. <laughs> That's yeah. always fun, and or, or when you you hear that this split has happened, and then you go, oh, I get to go look that up and see whether it affects the ones I've seen. Right. Right. So I go <laughs> find the paper. Sort of a little bit paper. of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that. So we're we're being a little nerdy here, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> we're a little bit of nerds. So. <laughs> yeah, and I realize this, this stuff's not for everyone, but you know, and you and me, neither one of us are the types where we throw our lifeless numbers around, you know, like big shots or anything. Like some some people in the birding world are kind of like that too. You know, yeah, 
Yeah, somebody was just telling us a story on this trip about uh, a birding trip, and they were out somewhere, and this other person who wasn't part of the group just strolled right up to them and said, I've got 5,634. How many do you have? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, birders are not all like that because the people that he strode up to were not like that, and they yeah. found this very strange and yeah. weird. But, um, but some people certainly do focus yeah. on the numbers more. Yeah. So we we don't wield those like some kind of measuring stick. <laughs> I'm, you know? I'm sure there are plenty of people who have seen way more species than I have, you know. Yeah, I, I know there are lots of people who are better at finding them than I have. And I've been lucky to be able to go to lots of different places and, you know, amassed a big list by the help of many other talented people. too. So and it, this all kind of ties back to travel, too. Um, have you traveled somewhere because there were certain species you wanted to find? Um, yes, although I don't usually target a particular species that much. I know a lot of people sort of operate in that mode, like they pick a, a few target species and then they kind of design everything around that. Um, there's an exception, which is I had to see a thorny devil. Okay. I had been to Australia three times in thorny devil country. I'd seen a DOR thorny devil. I'd seen the desiccated husk of a thorny devil in the desert, which was super annoying. Oh boy. <laughs> That's not something you normally see, no. but I had not yet seen a live thorny devil. So I did sort of plan a particular trip to Australia to maximize my chances of seeing a thorny devil, but I knew I would see all sorts of other stuff too. Right. right. Bycatch. Um, Right. Well, you, right. Except for I, you know, I don't really think of it that way. In this case, it kind of was because the, the really the one thing I really had to see was a thorny devil. So I did, in fact, see three thorny devils. So sweet. I can die now. It was very, very sweet. So they were they crossing the road? Uh, all three of them were on roads. Two of them were on uh, pavement, and one of them was on a dirt road. Awesome. Um, and and these are in the middle of uh, the great outback, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Far from the madding crowd. But in general, I. I I like to go places that have a lot of different species that I haven't seen. And I not, I don't have as much of a variation in how much I enjoy them uh, based on which species they are. It's like any species I haven't seen is like, makes me happy and I love getting photos of it. And it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, it's a new one. Yay. Um, but I also like getting photos of ones. You can always get better photos. So I like getting photos right. of ones I have already seen too. That's, which, you, you know, know which, Partially maybe explains why you're here on trip number four. To you're right. <laughs> Although I've got a, f a few new species on this trip. Not tons and tons, but a few. And I yeah. uh, definitely got better photos, a lot of things that I had photos of before. So, that, so that's good. Um, I went to Sri Lanka a couple of years ago. And I kind of particularly chose Sri Lanka because as a kid, I just remember seeing pictures of all these weird lizards from Sri Lanka that I didn't understand how there could be so many weird lizards in one place with like funny crests and, you know, weird protuberances on their snouts and that yeah. kind of thing. And, um, and that got me really interested in like going herping there someday. And, and so I, that it was kind of because of those lizards, but I wasn't really specifically only looking for those lizards or anything. I was looking for anything I could find in Sri Lanka, but I found a lot of weird lizards. So it was good. If one can go to Madagascar, one can easily go to Sri Lanka. That's right. I mean, Everything other than Madagascar is is no more difficult than Madagascar. So I, I think it's interesting. You, you know, you. I mean, it's not like it's you know the worst place to get to, but it's 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 pretty far off most people's radar. 
It's very far away. So you pick a hard yeah. one to start with, and from yeah. then on, everything seems exactly. possible. And, I, and I'm, there's lots of places that are harder to get around in, but but it's not easy to get around in. It's it's really not easy to try to like use public transport and that kind of thing. You'd just be really limited in what you could do. So you so, kind of need to have some sort of arranged tour, but but you can get an arranged tour for just you. You don't have to like yeah. join some existing tour. Right? So you got a guy who drove you around and found yeah, well, stuff? The com- yeah, so I signed up with a travel company that specialized in Madagascar and they picked, and they asked us questions about what we were most interested in and then they suggested an itinerary and we you know, didn't know that much, but it looks good to us. And they got the, we had a guide that would drive us around and stay with us at the lodgings and then the way Madagascar works, anytime you go into a national park, you also need to have with you a guide that's from that specific national park. To I think that's you. common in a lot of countries. Yeah. yeah. So then we would have sort of two guides. We'd have the the one who was taking us around, who would right. take us from park to park also, and then we'd have the one specifically for that park. I realize that for some of our, our younger listeners, the idea of hiring somebody to help you <laughs> yeah you know the, you know you want to do everything on your own yeah i'm gonna figure it out i'm gonna make it work but if you're spending money and time which that's always in short supply for everyone right time and treasure to to see things it's worth it to, to have somebody not only number one get you to the right places but get you out of trouble you know i mean sure yeah, you just don't have to worry about that. You don't stuff. have to worry yeah. about where you're going to sleep. They're going to take care of your food and where you're going to sleep, and they're going to solve a hundred problems that you didn't even know you had. That's why we come here, so you can do those things. <laughs> <laughs> That's Matt's job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, and you know, Madagascar is getting easier than it was then. There's a lot more sort of tourist infrastructure. Um, I actually went back. So I've been there twice, and I was planning to go a third time, but COVID has at least delayed that. Um, And the second time, it was a similar kind of deal, though. We arranged with a company that knows a lot about Madagascar. Uh, We told them where we had been before and which of those places we'd be, you know, happy to go back to. But also, we wanted to go to new places, and and they kind of arranged the guides and the and the cars and the and the lodging did you have to fly anywhere in the country or yes. did you, you did yeah the uh tana the you know the antananariva the capital kind of right in the middle right um it has the only sort of big airport but there are lots of little towns that have little tiny airports and so you either have to drive for a really long time or you can take little flights from tana to one of these other places and the, okay. you know, the flight will only be between an hour and maybe three hours at most. Um, but driving might have taken all day or two days or who knows right. how long. Did you go to Nosebi and other places like uh, that? Islands? We went to Nosebi on one of the trips, uh, Nosikomba, which is right next to Nosebi, but even smaller. Uh-huh. Um, Mangabi, uh in the in the Maransetra area in the bay there. Um, we went there on the first trip and they have IIs, which as oh, wow. your listeners probably know, or many of them are, are like the weirdest lemur by far. Yeah, and, eyes about half the size of their head. Oh, and they just look like weird alien monsters and these super long digits that they use to tap grubs out of hollow hollow twigs yeah. and stuff. Um, but we didn't see any IIs. So oh. one of the reasons I have to go back to Madagascar, even though it's not a herp, I still need to see an II. I have to keep going back for the rest of my life until I see an II. 
Wow. I'm so, <laughs> I, I would love to go to Madagascar someday. That's, that's high on my list. So, but like I said, COVID has kind of squashed a lot of things, yeah. a lot of dreams. Uh, and I'm trying to think, I was trying to think back to, we, it took us a while to meet in person, but I can't remember. Was it here in Peru? It was here. Yeah, it was okay. here in Peru. And we've done a few other trips. I've been out to California mm-hmm. and I've seen you in some, uh, several other places, uh, Mexico. Were, yeah, the Sonora trip. And, and so we, we've been yeah. able to get out. And so the, our first trip together was fun to finally get to meet you in person and hang out. You know, that felt like, uh, the legendary Mike Pinkleton, <laughs> the legendary John <laughs> Sullivan, you know, it was just kind of fun to finally meet one of your, your contemporary uh, web pioneers, so right? Web herp pioneers, not too many of them. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I remember too, I, I had found a, um, one of the, uh, Batracaseps salamanders out there, Monterey. Okay. And I'd listed it on my site, but I didn't have a picture of it. And you generously gave me a, <gasps> a picture of the, of that species to, to put up there. And, um, uh, so I want to say thank you after all these oh, years sure. for, <laughs> for loaning me a picture. Not of hard that, to so. find those right yeah. around where where I live near uh, near Monterey. <laughs> yeah. What other than Madagascar? Of course, Sri Lanka is a big one. Do you, what What do you have your sights on next? Um, I might be. If, I mean, if I can't get back to Madagascar soon, um, I might be going to Guatemala. Oh. Um, to meet, uh, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, there's a, this guy, Fred Muller, who lives in Guatemala. He's from France originally, but he's lived in Guatemala for a long time. And he's a, a guide of various nature things. He, he can do herping tours. He can do orchid tours. He can do general wildlife tours or just sort of general nature tours. And he got stuck in Peru because of COVID uh, he happened to be in Peru when they like shut the borders and oh, yeah. let people out. And he got his client out, but he got stuck there. And he found my website somehow, I think because I had these trip accounts from these Peruvian trips and he was trying to learn more about the Peruvian stuff since he was stuck there for a long time. He ended up being stuck there for like eight months. Oh my God. And we corresponded a lot back and forth during this time. And, um, that's so now crazy. I'm dying to go out there and visit him in Guatemala and have him show me around. Yeah. And, you know, we're like old friends, even though we've never met. So, wow. cool. so that's definitely going to happen. It's just not exactly clear when yet. I like these meetup things where you, you get to know somebody and then, then you eventually you meet them somewhere. Right. Exotic, right? Crazy. Yeah. And I know it used to be the idea of like an internet friend was like kind of an insult and, and now it's just a standard thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, you know, people meet their partners that way. Yeah. So it's all, it's all changed. Eight months stuck. How did yeah. you get stuck for eight? I mean, and I they know when closed I closed the borders, they wouldn't let anyone out. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, you know, people who've listened to the show know that in March of 2020, I got out on the last plane before the country right. shut down. He did, he did not get out on the last plane, and uh, I'm I'm sorry about that, Fred. Um, uh, but uh, there were several thousand Americans who were left behind, and it was six weeks before most of them got home. But eight months, my yeah. goodness, yeah. What do you do with yourself? Well, he, he made his way. Apply for citizenship? <laughs> right. He made his way to a, a you know, sort of tiny little one family eco lodge kind of place um, in pretty, you know, near pretty good habitat and just he spent as much time as he could out in the forest looking for stuff and taking photos. And wow. we would chat about what he found that day and, and all that. And he found some good things and some rare stuff. Oh. And, um, but, you know, it was a long time to be in one place no matter what. And yeah. He was very happy to get back home. I can't imagine. Yeah. Hmm. 
So Guatemala, that's that's next. Anything else? Uh, I mean, I have a long list of kind of everywhere <laughs> I'd like to go, but yeah. I don't have anything specific lined up other than I I want to finish that Madagascar trip and then I want to do the Guatemala and then we'll and then I'll just play it by see, ear. See what goes from there. Yeah. And you've done some uh Mexico trips. I know you did one with our friends Matt and Laurie that was Yeah, I did a little uh, one with with those two. We've done a Baja. A little rough bit. Baja trip. Yeah, and then a Sonora trip with with you at Alamos. Have you done awesome. have you been in Europe at all or uh not really herping exactly, but uh we went on a uh, Mediterranean cruise with my wife and her sister and her mom mm-hmm. that was sort of primarily for her mom uh, just a few years ago and you know every time we got off <laughs> I'm looking around for the see what I can find in mm-hmm. the you know two or three hours that we're wandering around the Checking town out. instead of being on the boat looking for the local lizards and whatnot yeah, yeah. so I have like an incidental Mediterranean herping trip nice. account up on my website nice. found one nice tortoise Couple of boring snakes and and you've been to lizards. let's see you've done Malaysia yeah um, I met, with our friend uh, met Kurt. up with Kurt yeah Kurt in uh, Peninsula Malaysia and then we met again the next year in Borneo um, because I couldn't finish I was originally planning to go Peninsula Malaysia and then uh, Sabah for a while uh, not Sabah sorry Sarawak for a while and I started that and then I had an accident and I broke my wrist and I had to come back home. Oh yeah. So I didn't yeah. finish my trip. So I was like, oh, I have to go back to those places I was gonna go. And so I, I went again the next year, and but this time I added some other stuff on and, and I, Kurt came out and joined me in some spots in, in Borneo. So that was awesome. I I, I'm, I was hoping to maybe make a trip out that way this, later this year, but I don't know if Indonesia and Malaysia are going to open up. I, yeah, it's kind of hard. I'm feel kind of sorry for our buddy Kurt. Who, totally. Um, you know, we wish he, you were here, Kurt. Yeah, he was supposed to be on this trip. Yeah. Uh, so we, we miss you. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, herping with him. He's a pretty good guide and uh, saw some. Oh, amazing, he knows how to find stuff. Yeah, he's and very how good. to wrangle it out of high trees as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very good and uh and he, he's an excellent photographer. So. Yes, yes. So so I wish him well and uh hopefully we'll get to see him again before too much time passes. Yeah. So oh boy, COVID's kind of thrown a, a run, monkey wrench and all that. Uh and when you went did you go to Komodo as well? I did. That was much earlier. And it wasn't really a herping trip, but of course it went to Komodo, so it was a herping trip, right? Yeah. That was with a, you know, sort of a standard type uh, nature travel company called International Expeditions. Okay. That yeah. does a good job. And my wife and I took a tall sailing ship that started in Bali and ended up in Komodo. And uh, there were Komodo dragons. They were big. It was awesome. Wow. So the, the dragons are awesome, of course. And right. it's the iconic trip that, Everyone listening to this show, if they haven't done it, they want to do it. Right. Everyone wants to see a Komodo uh, dragon. But, you know, being on a sailing ship in the Malay Archipelago, yeah. Indonesia, I guess it is. Crossing uh, Wallace's line crossing between Wallace's Bali line. and Lombok. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, that's, that's, it's so ro- romantic in a, you know, a natural history sort of way. It, yeah. It was really nice. And, and sometimes at night, um, you could see the red glow from like volcanic activity, you know, nearby, and that's the only color, and the you know you can see in the sky. So amazing! So there, you get a lot more out of this than just 
things for your life list, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I noticed that you spent a lot of time on this trip uh, photographing insects too. So. Yeah, I've gotten more into, into insects. I've always liked liked insects. I was a kid, you know, you're out looking for, for herbs. You also see a lot of cool bugs. You yeah. know, Calvin and Hobbes will tell you that yeah. it's weird bugs and frogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've gotten more interested in the last couple of years, especially sort of during COVID lockdown. You, you couldn't really travel much. So I could go out and try to take pictures of things generally near my house right. where there aren't any herbs that I haven't seen a million times. And so that gives you something else to like look for and focus on and uh, get interested in and learn more about and all that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I've got tons of, of nice uh, invertebrates from this trip. And I'm, the crazy place, thing yeah. about this place is that, you know, this is my 10th trip. I'm still seeing things I've never seen before. Yeah. It seems like you could live here your entire life and every day you would see things you hadn't Something seen before. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. So I enjoy I enjoy them too, although I, I haven't had as much time to take pictures of them as, as I would have liked. So, so. I always feel a little bit guilty for every like picture of a grasshopper I take. I could be spending those t 20 seconds scanning for snakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I figure yeah. there's enough eyeballs. Well, <laughs> will we eventually see wildbugs.org? No, I, I, I do put, um, put them all up on iNaturalist, which is okay. fun because a lot of them get identified precisely. Oh, or yeah. Eventually. And and you get a, from places like this, you know, probably I'll, I'll find a lot of things that aren't previously on iNaturalist. Not what? as much That's anymore because yeah. it's getting bigger all the time. But right. but I've got a lot of stuff, um, including like grasshoppers and things like that that I've got the first records of there, just because not that many people go, you know, traveling to exotic places and taking those. But now iNaturalist is sort of. Yeah, locals use it in much of the world. So right, but isn't there a secret little pleasure in having the only record of some yeah animal? I have a I have a list of um, on iNaturalist. I have a list of the animals that I've got the first record of, and nice. then I have a much another much shorter list of the animals I have the only records for. Yeah, I and, have a few and you like have to that. check that that's still up to date, right? Because everyone, yeah, you know, someone will come along some and post will, another yeah, one. Yeah, somebody will get that eventually. But it's nice to have it while you have it. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I get that a little bit in, in Herp Mapper, and I was you know trying to talk down into developing a a little search, a little query that I could just hit the button and see how many I. I Records I have for where I'm the only record holder for right, certain right. species. So. The singletons. The unique. <laughs> the singleton pingletons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's kind of fun to just to have that little bit. It's not, you're not really bragging. You're not putting it right. on a t-shirt or anything. But, right. Uh, <laughs> right. You know. It just makes you like realize, you know, most people don't have the opportunity to go these crazy places and spend the time looking for this stuff. And or yeah. they're not as good at finding things when they're there or something. Right. And yeah. It's like. I, I'm sure you're as grateful as I am to have these opportunities. Absolutely, too, you know? yeah. We've had some wonderful adventures together or on our own. It's been wonderful, and yep, I, I've really yep. enjoyed reading about yours and and uh, thinking. Oh man, that guy went to Sri Lanka. Yeah, <laughs> dang, you'll get there. I'm sure <laughs> they got really cool lizards. We saw a bunch of good snakes too. Sri Did Lanka. you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you know the lizards are cool, but have you seen frogs? Ah, uh, there are many fine frogs. Whole, f whole. Uh, well, genera for sure. Probably families of frogs in Sri Lanka that are endemic. So. Isn't it nice to tick off a new family too? Yeah, it's like oh, finally. Yeah the the higher uh, the higher the taxonomic order you can 
you can see for the first time, the better. <laughs> yeah, really, really. I'm still working on a Amphisbenians and Tuatera. <laughs> oh, Tuatera. Yeah. I well, did actually go to New Zealand once with, with my wife and another another couple. And we had one opportunity to see Tuatera. We were on an island that has them, but we were only there during the day because oh. they only let you there during the day. So your chances of seeing a Tuatera are very low since they're nocturnal. Okay. But uh, we didn't see any Tuateras. But I did get to hold a Tuatera at a, like, there's a place called a uh, Tuatarium. Tuatarium. <laughs> at the Tuatarium. Uh, there happened to be some, like, uh, natural history museum-y type people visiting and they were kind of giving them the red carpet and bringing stuff out and I was just sort of happened to be there at the same time and started asking questions and stuff and eventually said oh you want to hold this to a terror it's like yes yes Hell I do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes please so that's pretty one cool, a terror would but... be fine but two a terror would be better uh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't see any wild ones <clears throat> when I was uh, coming up in uh, junior high, uh, my science teacher, uh, who I've talked about on this show before, Mr. Kweitzer, was friends with Ron Gellner, who was the curator of reptiles at St. Louis Zoo. And they, they have a Tuatera vivarium. It's a big room devoted to Tuatera. You could in, call it a Tuatarium if you want. A Tuatarium, yeah. Yes. Okay. I will do that from now on. Uh, it had Tuatarium in the basement of the reptile house, and, or the herpetarium, if you will. And, um, uh, you know, I had soil and plants and burrows and, and you go down there and uh, it was cool to go down and see the Tuatera in this thing. And so I had to get a chance to get behind the scenes and, and get a look at them and stuff. And, uh, but it was amazing. It, it seemed like I would go down there like uh, subsequent years, like, uh, you know, year after year. And it feels like it would always feel like I would go down there and the Tuatera hadn't moved in a year. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was still in the same spot. And like, that thing moved since I was here. <laughs> now, do you remember year. when you were a kid, the you know, the Time Life uh, series and the Archie Carr Reptiles yeah. book in the Time Life series? Do you remember the picture of the Tuatera? So it's like a big full, I think it's a full page shot of a of a Tuatera. And that Tuatera is at this Tuatarium. And no he kidding. has been for God knows how long. I, he, his name is Henry. He's Henry the Tuatera. It's that Tuatera. It is that Tuatera. And he's been there. He's like 102 years old or something now. I didn't get to hold Henry, but I saw Henry. Henry was in a was in an enclosure. And nobody, does anybody really know how long Tuateras live? <laughs> well, they live at least 100 at, years. At, at least one I, Henry. I don't know if there's a good estimate on the maximum yet, you know. You got to keep them until they die if you're going to find that out and they're keeping them too well. So, Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And I think, and in fact, Henry, they've been trying to get Henry to uh, reproduce for a long, long time. And uh, just a few years ago, shoot, I don't remember what came of it, but he did like manage to have fertile eggs at least. So he's a Henrietta? Henry. No, 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 oh, no. no. Henry, Henry mated with some other Tuatera okay. that... Shoot, I, I kind of think I remember that they hatched, but I, I, I don't know. So, sure. 100 years old, and you're finally getting around to reproducing? Right. Wow. Something like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I always look at the animal kingdom and think, aren't you glad we don't do things like they do things? You know, <laughs> you know in terms <laughs> you of can, shedding you go your the other skin. Way around, or, I'm sure, and find examples that you wish we were more alike. But. True, <laughs> true. But, you know, shedding your skin or. Burying your eggs in the sand. <laughs> right. <laughs> Glad we don't do those things. But uh. So do you have any chance, any 
ideas about going back to Australia? It sounds I'd like I'd love you... to go back to Australia. I, I could that's another place you could just visit, you know, yeah. every year for the rest of your life. It's so big and diverse. Um even the parts that you know, the outback which you know, to your mind's eye might be all kind of the same. It just has different species assemblages in every little area, you know. What whatever kind of if there's a kind of herp you're particularly interested in, like, you know, agamids or, you know, lapids, you know, you drive a hundred kilometers and you'll, there's new ones, you know, and another yeah. kilometers, there's more new ones. If you're, if you like skinks, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> there's too many skinks. Yeah. Like, there's hundreds I, yeah, and hundreds I, of skinks. Yeah. There's hundreds. I think they yeah. have like 400 lizard species in Australia. More than that. I'm Is sure. it more? I, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't be making up numbers, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember more than 300 skinks. Yeah, and well, maybe tons that was of geckos yeah. as well. So, yeah. so then, one could you know, come away from Australia lizards. with a hundred new lizards. Yes, easily. Yes, you could if you stayed there long enough. Yeah, amazing. Haven't been, but it's on my short list. Uh, yeah. Nobody's going there for a while, but definitely. And it's a great place to visit because uh, it's easy to get around. I mean, long distances. So you either take some flights or drive or stick to one little area of Australia. But um, people are super friendly. You know, you can find places to stay. It's it's expensive compared to a lot of places, but you don't have to, you know, you can find cheaper well, places I, to stay. I, I hear that, but I think it's probably not more expensive than staying in the United States. Is uh, that safe to it, say? it depends. On any given year, it may or may not be, you know, it depends how the dollar is doing against right. the Australian dollar. But I think sometimes you get spoiled, you know, uh, you know, spent uh, some time in Vietnam and, you know, the American dollar versus the Vietnamese right. dong is, is amazingly skewed. And I'm walking around with a bundle of banknotes that's, you know, three inches thick. Right. And each one has many zeros. On yeah. It. There's so many zeros on their money and it feels <laughs> like play money. It, it, it kind of loses its the whole idea that this has any, you know, because there's so much of it, you know. It's, yeah. And the, and the big denomination, so it, it it's kind of skewed. And when you go to Australia, and things are much more yeah, it's more equitable. it's more like American prices. They can yeah. be they can be higher, especially if you're in somewhere really remote because yeah. there's no competition. Not just there's cars, no competition; it's supply and demand. Plus, right. it's expensive to get stuff out to some place that's really remote. Probably rental so. cars aren't cheap there either. But. Right, they're not cheap, but they're not crazy expensive. It's well worth it to see a thorny devil. Did you ever hit a kangaroo when you were driving? No. <laughs> I hear about that. I know that. they warn you about uh, you're not supposed to drive at night or be super careful when you drive at night. Yeah. The rental car companies, you might even be signing something saying you're not going to drive at night because of the oh, kangaroos. Okay. But I kind of But you could that. hit a kangaroo during the day. You could, but you're more likely to see it during the day. It's not okay. going to suddenly jump out in front of you the way they can at night. Did you have any close calls with those? Uh, I saw, I you know, I saw them on the road hopping around, but I never that it like seemed like I might have hit it. I never had that close of a call. What's the craziest thing you saw in Australia? That's how you define crazy. I mean, I saw an echidna. There you go. <laughs> okay, pretty darn crazy. Yeah. Did you ever see the platypus? There? No, I looked for platypuses a couple of times at spots, you know, that known okay. for them, but but I was not lucky. I saw a platypus in an, you know, at a museum or some kind of thing like that a live one in australia it's okay. the only live one i've seen but not wild i'm having a hard time picking you know, because people think oh you go to australia you can just kind of bop around everywhere but that's, that's not yeah the case, what, what i've know? done is pick two or three areas and then any you know fly between those areas and then in each of those areas get a rental car and drive around uh-huh 
I was thinking about that too. I might start out in Queensland and and then go up to the Northern Territories from there. Um, maybe New South Wales. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Um, it, um, Western Australia also nice. <laughs> yeah, everywhere I mean, is nice. So you just gotta pick but, some but spots. But it's also like if you live in Australia and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go herpy United States. And it's the same sort of thing. It's right, like, well, like, where are you going to go? What does that mean, right? What does that yeah. mean? You going to go to Florida? You going to go to Arizona? Yeah, California. Well, obviously, Kansas? you have to. You can't go to Australia and not go to the outback somewhere. You know, where it's dry and deserty, and there's dry and deserty types of animals. Yeah, it's too iconic. Yeah, but and I'm then, really interested in those geckos, the Strophers genus. Yeah, the, yeah, those, those. Th- those aren't even near the coolest geckos but those are good geckos they just have so many geckos that are really cool so you drive you know drive around the roads at night you'll see some snakes Uh and you'll see a lot of geckos and a lot of different species of geckos it's it's really fun like every every you, you learn that you have to stop for every gecko if you care about geckos at all because you might assume they're all the same, but like, you're, everyone's likely to be a different species, you know? Well, we got run into that, you know, when you, you know, like I've said this before, when you hang out with snake people, they're like, you know, before you start road cruising, they're like, just want to get this out here. We're not stopping for any toads. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you can drive people nuts because my, my thing is you stop for every amphibian because you don't know what it is. It might be right. something new. And I've got a couple of new species that way, but stopping just to make sure. So I guess it's kind of the same thing, but but in Australia, you know, you're you want to see all the snakes, but you can't really do much with them because they'll kill you. There's that. Yeah. So you, and, and you a know, lot focusing of them are fast on li- yeah, also. <laughs> yeah, and they're shooting across the road. Yeah. So focusing on lizards sounds like a good idea. Yeah, and and I generally kind of focus on the lizards in terms of like trying to go to areas where I know there will be good lizards, okay. and you. I'll find a lot of snakes that way too. Right? Yeah, the snakes become the bycatch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you've got like shinglebacks. Oh, so many shinglebacks! Yeah. The last time I went, it just happened to be particularly shinglebacky, and I, I, I said I'm going to stop and take a photo of every shingleback I see. I just want to point out that shinglebacky sounds like a town in Australia. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, I ended up with 48 shinglebacks. Oh my god! So I made a web page with one photo of every shingle back <laughs> nice. where I found it linked it somewhere on my website awesome i like that that's a little like a mini episode right right <laughs> cool well thank you i want to thank you for coming on this show i think i'm pretty sure we've covered about everything that i thought we should cover cool well then um, appreciate you um coming on the show i want to it's always good to talk to you no matter what, but it's it's fun to get on, uh, talk about some things we have in common and uh, the good old days and early days of the internet. Yeah, there aren't so many people that you can have those particular conversations with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, what I did mention too is the, the first digital camera. Oh, yeah. You know, back in the day when you could just, you didn't have to wait for the photo processing. You could just, I had a Sony Mavica one and a half megapixel camera and you could take a picture of a herp and then stick the floppy that it, it had a floppy disk in it and you you know a floppy disk in the camera yeah, you would wow. chunk the floppy disk into the side of the camera take your pictures and when you take a picture you hear going jing 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 as it you know wrote the file to the floppy disk <laughs> and you pull the floppy disk out and stick it into your computer and there was your picture oh my wow. god so it was like magic and i all, didn't all like, yeah you know 480 by 360 of it exactly. or whatever it was <laughs> and terrible resolution but by golly you didn't have to wait for the photo mat guy to you know 
yeah. process your film and you didn't have to go to the lab after hours to scan the picture. So it's just amazing. <laughs> Big improvement. Yeah. So come a long way since then. You we know. certainly have. And now our smartphones are take such wonderful pictures that almost rivaling our camera in some regards. Yeah, and some some ways are better than the cameras, but but only in limited ways. You know? Well I find my my use my iPhone for like landscape shots yep. or taking pictures of other herpers and things. Yeah, so, yep, uh, yep. And it's yeah. great at that. And then they're great at, you know, sort of low light situations, especially for that, like, you know, people yeah. around a, you know, a table at night or, you know, or something, or people shining light on a snake on the ground and they're all gathered around to take a picture. You can get a great photo of that scene with your phone yeah. with no effort, you know, whereas with your camera, yeah. you'd have a hard time figuring out exactly how to meter it and, you know, yeah. how much flash to apply and this or that, the other. You can be really uh, spontaneous with it. Yeah. Like in the boat, we had a, we did a boat ride the other night looking for Amazon tree bows, and uh, it was our, well, it was the second night we did a boat ride for that, and uh, down in the R- Mazan River, and I got a great picture of uh, of Nick Bergmeier scrambling up a uh, a really tall, steep, you know, almost vertical bank. He's just kind of climbing up the vegetation uh, to reach a a, a little or little baby orange Amazon tree bow. It's yeah. a beautiful snake. You know he's he got the fo- he got the snake and then turned around to look at us. So I got a picture of his big grinning face. <laughs> Very nice. I got the whole thing from the river bank all the way up into the vegetation, right? Because you can turn your phone sideways and and capture the moment. So yep. So that we have lots of great tools now. I don't Absolutely. know what's holding us back anymore. I know there's no excuses. <laughs> Get out there, find herbs, take pictures of them, <coughs> write yeah. them down. <laughs> yeah, and all these things we did back then, you can still do, right? So. And I don't know. You, do you do you share many pictures like an Instagram or things like that? Or? Uh, not that many. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I'm like eighty percent just a lurker. I mean, I'll, I'll, add, I'll add comments and to other people's posts, but I tend not to start things myself. I don't. I don't really know why. It's just not my primary mode of getting the getting stuff out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't gotten into it in that particular way. Gotcha. Yeah. And Instagram, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I don't know. It's, it, it kind of feels impersonal or remote in a, in a way. I mean, I use it occasionally, uh-huh. but I don't get the same kick out of it. And you were, uh, and back in the other day, the olden days, uh, you participated on things like field hurt form and things like yeah. that, but, uh, which had a little more community feel to it. Yeah, maybe. sure. Yeah. I actually only got on Facebook, um, right before going on my first trip to Peru where I met you because Matt or somebody had contacted us saying, this is how we, you know, share information amongst the group and we'll, you know, share photos and stuff afterwards. Yeah. We make a Facebook I'm not on Facebook. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) (laughs) So I got on Facebook just for that purpose. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I look around on it from time to time, but it's, it's so overwhelming, the quantity of stuff out there yeah. that, um, yeah, I just don't spend much time on it, but I, I do enjoy the, the group cohesion part of it. Yeah. When you set up a, like a trip, a group for a trip. We, yeah. We yeah. Do it's that, really good for that. It works really well for that. Yeah. Make sure everybody has the right information. And, uh, for this, the fun, uh, when we're going, I said, uh, my thank yous are ready for this, but, uh, one of the things that that Matt does for these trips is we do this little quiz called Hot or Not. <laughs> and uh, so Matt will post a picture of a, a snake uh, and uh, the, the folks that are coming on the trip have to, you know, they, they guess whether that's a venomous snake or not because we have 
uh, a load of snakes down, uh, venomous snakes down there, and most of them have a mimic or two. Right. And uh, so the idea is not, the idea is to somewhat get you thinking about IDs, but it's also to get you thinking about, I better not pick that up. Right. You better um, not pick up anything unless you are absolutely sure. Yes. That. And uh, we, we got, a, the other night we got a Micurus hemprichi, uh, which uh, has a harmless colubrid mimic, uh, Oxyropus melanogenis, and they're very close and uh, not not on our trips, but in other, there have been cases elsewhere where people have picked uh, up a coral snake thinking it was the harmless mimic. And so you got to be very careful about that. So the hot or not game is pretty uh, being able to play that on fa- in a Facebook group is pretty good because it really gets <laughs> yeah. people of uh, the idea that I, you know, I need to understand these animals better. Yeah, basically the answer is might be hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so act accordingly. So. Right. It's kind of like uh, s- snake hunting in Australia. Probably hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't know the snakes very well, you can kind of assume that it's hot unless it looks like a python. I mean, there are exceptions, but yeah. but that's a good rule to live with, you know. Yeah. Did you see the taipans there? Uh, I didn't see any taipans. I saw a tiger snake, a bunch of brown snakes, mm-hmm. mulga snake, various other elapids. Some of the mm-hmm. some of the elapids are like tiny and colorful and not dangerous at all, even mm-hmm. though technically venomous. Saw some of them. Yeah. But, um, but never didn't see a taipan yet. Yet. <laughs> to be continued. Right. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. It's just oh, you're been wonderful. It's very to fun. You. All right. Thanks. That's it for episode 56. Thank you, John Sullivan, for sitting down and chatting with me on the back deck of my tambo in the rainforest so much fun and thanks for listening everyone and if you have any thoughts about the show i would like to hear from you of course and thanks as always to all of the so much bingo patrons uh, and if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the show you can do so via patreon just go to patreon.com slash so much bingo and so much bingo is all one word you can also make one-time contributions via paypal or venmo just drop me an email to so much at gmail.com for more details and don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com. And you can also join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. 